Okay, here's the scenario. This boy has a girlfriend and they've been dating for several months really and and uh, he is quick to say to her, I love you. I mean, he frequently spouts that phrase and he always is talking to her about how much he loves her, but he, something happens, something is becoming a little obvious here to her. To her, she notices that he never takes her around his family and they never are together with his friends. She noticed that this is missing. And after a while, it begins to make sense to her. He never takes me to see his family. We are never around his friends. What's going on here? And she begins to suspect and then it becomes pretty much obvious to her that he's ashamed of her. The boyfriend is ashamed of his girlfriend. I want to ask you a question. How long will that relationship continue on? I think you know the answer to that, right? That's not going to go on much longer. If she thinks he's ashamed of her, she's not going to want to be around him. And so that relationship is doomed. All right, now, with that in mind, let's talk about the Lord. We claim the Lord as our master. And we claim that we love him. And we claim that he has first place in our life. But is it possible that maybe we're like that boyfriend? Maybe sort of secretly, we're ashamed of him. We don't talk about him. Uh, we never discuss the Lord when we're around our friends. We really don't want anybody to know that we are a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Is it possible like that boyfriend, was, although he said he loved his girlfriend, he was really ashamed of her. Is it possible we say we love the Lord, but maybe in our hearts we have some degree of shame associated with that relationship? Do you think that that's possible? You think it's a you think it's a possibility that a person who ex who expresses his devotion to the Lord could really be ashamed of the Lord? I think it definitely is possible when we consider the reading that Monty read a little earlier from 2 Timothy chapter 1 at verse 8. Paul said to Timothy, "Be not thou therefore ashamed." Now think about that for a minute. If Paul would tell Timothy, it's possible to be ashamed and when we think about how great a person Timothy was, we were in a Bible class this morning. We were talking about what a great disciple of the Lord Timothy was. But the very fact that Paul would tell him, be thou not therefore ashamed, suggests it could happen. If it could happen to Timothy, it could certainly happen to us. And we need to be aware of that. And we need to be taking steps to guard ourselves about being ashamed of the Lord. So that's what we want to talk about in our lesson this morning. Thank you all for being here on this beautiful Lord's Day in Middle Tennessee. We're glad that you're here. We're glad that we have the opportunity to assemble together, uh, to sing praises to God, to pray, to join together in Bible study and worship. Thanks for being here to be a part of all this that we're doing today. We have visitors as we typically do. We're so glad for our visitors. Come again whenever you can and ask whatever questions you might have, as Lee mentioned in the announcements just a few minutes ago. We thank everybody for being here. Let's talk about the possibility of being ashamed of the Lord and let's just point out, of course, that we never should be. We should never be ashamed of Christ. In Mark chapter 8, verse 38, uh, Jesus said, Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. I want to really draw your attention to this part of that statement when he talks about in this adulterous and sinful generation. That's the way it was 
when Jesus spoke those words. It was an evil, adulterous, sinful generation. Ours is as well. We understand that that's so, but I think what Jesus was trying to emphasize here is that there's really nothing to apologize to this generation, to all these evil people. Why would we be ashamed of the Lord in in reference to the sinful generation that we live in? We have nothing to apologize for. Here we are trying to live moral, righteous lives. We don't have anything to apologize for in this evil and adulterous generation that we live in either. But Jesus went on to warn, if we are ashamed of him, then he'll be ashamed of us when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. That's a great warning. Don't be ashamed of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 10, beginning verse 32, Jesus said, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I also confess before my Father, which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father, which is in heaven. We have often pointed out that one of the conditions of our salvation is the requirement to confess our faith in Jesus Christ. One of, the, one of our memory verses is Romans 10, verse 10. With the heart man believeth unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So in order to be saved, we have to confess our faith in the Lord Jesus. And someone might say, well, Jesus said I have to confess him before men, and I did that. I did that back when I obeyed the gospel. Back when I became a Christian, I verbally said, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So I've, I have fulfilled that, right? Well, actually, no. Uh, what Jesus is describing here is not just a one-time verbal confession of our faith, although that's necessary when we obey the gospel. It's an ongoing thing. We must continually confess Him in the way that we live and act, the things that we do and say. In Titus chapter 1, verse 16, Paul describes some people who said they profess they know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable and disobedient and unto every good work reprobate. And so... Here he say there are people who say they love God, that they know Him, that they serve Him. But the fact of the matter is that their life and their conduct, their example proves that they really are not confessing Him in an ongoing way. And so, as a first obvious thing, in regards to what Paul was saying, be thou not therefore ashamed, as a first obvious thing, we should never be ashamed of our Lord Jesus Christ. But that also goes... That not being ashamed of him goes to also his gospel. We should not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's not just him, it's his truth that we need to stand up for. Go back to that verse we were looking at just a minute ago, Matthew 8, 38, or excuse me, Mark 8, 38, Mark 8, 38. Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Notice, whoever shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this sinful and uh, adulterous and sinful generation. So get the point. Jesus is saying, you should not be ashamed of me, but neither should you be ashamed of the things that I teach. And I'm afraid that there are a lot of people who identify themselves as Christians today who are ashamed. They wouldn't, they wouldn't say they're ashamed of Jesus. They, they might vocally profess their allegiance to Jesus. They might do other things to try and demonstrate that they're committed to Jesus. But the fact of the matter is that they won't stand up for what he taught, and they're ashamed of the message that he proclaimed. The Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, by the way, this is our current memory verse, Romans 1, verse 16, Paul said, For I am not ashamed of, what? The gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. 
again, the very statement that Paul makes here suggests that it would be a possibility to be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. But he said, I'm not. But the implication is it could be so that people would be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. We should not be ashamed of the gospel because it alone has the power to save us. It's not our personal opinions. It's not our human wisdom. It's not worldly philosophy. It is the gospel of Christ that can save us, and we should not be ashamed. In Matthew chapter 15, Jesus said, beginning verse 8, This people draweth nigh to me with their lips, honoreth me with their... Excuse me. This people draweth nigh to me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Uh, so Jesus had a pretty strong rebuke of the people of that day. He suggested that their worship was pretense and hypocritical. And when he said that, notice his disciples came to him and said, Knowest thou that the Pharisees were offended after they heard this saying? So the disciples of Jesus said to him, Oh, now Jesus, you probably messed up there by speaking so strongly, by having such strict words. The Pharisees were offended when you said that. And so what did Jesus do? Did he say, oh, oh, well, if that's the case, then well, I'll correct that. I'll back up. I'll, I'll, I'll tone it down. No. He answered and said, let them alone. They be blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. Notice no compromise on the part of Jesus. He spoke the truth they needed to hear, even when it condemned them in their current condition. And he would not back down, even when he was told by his disciples, what you said there was offensive. I want you to contrast that to the way men act these days, especially in religion. You know, it seems like in religion, people are so busy apologizing for things that they, they don't have hardly time for anything else, you know. Uh, in regards to the, the truths, the moral truths, the doctrinal truths of the Word of God, people almost constantly apologizing for those things and compromising those things, trying to accommodate people who don't agree and so forth. We can't do that. Jesus would not do that. There was another example in John chapter 6. In John chapter 6, beginning verse 60, many therefore of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying, who can hear it? And from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Jesus losing disciples now because of what he said, because of what he taught, because the, some of the things he said were difficult. And people started falling away. Did Jesus tone it down? Did he chase after them? Did he compromise in order to keep the numbers? No, he did not. And again, that's a message for us as well. This is really not a new problem. Obviously, it was a problem in Jesus' day. It was a problem 700 years before that when Isaiah wrote. In Isaiah 30, verse 10, there's this expression which denoted the, what the people wanted. Speak to us smooth things. In the, in, in the days of Isaiah... People didn't want to hear difficult things. They didn't want to hear hard things. Just, just speak to us things that are smooth, easy to hear. And, of course, a lot of people are doing that these days. But our instruction is that which Paul gave to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, beginning verse 2. Preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned to fables. Notice the admonition here is keep preaching the word because there's going to be a time when people will not want to hear it. Well, I want to tell you, I think that time has recurred over and over again in history. I don't think it's unique to one particular age. I think in the many centuries since Paul said that to Timothy, 
This has happened over and over again. There have been times when people simply would not endure sound doctrine. And so what happens when people don't want to hear the message? When they're not willing to endure the sound doctrine, they're looking for people. He goes on to say they're going to look for people who will tickle their ears, who will tell them what they want to hear. Well, when that's the, when that's the state of affairs in the world, which, by the way, I think that is the state of affairs in our world today, they're not interested in sound doctrine. They won't endure it. They're looking for people to tell them what they want to hear. When that's, when that is the condition, if that is the circumstance that we're facing, what do we do? Well, he said, preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. We, we can't be ashamed of the truth. We can't back away from it. We have to continue to stand for it. Even when the majority of people in the world are not interested in hearing that, that's got to be what we do. The reason why is because of what Paul said here in Galatians 1 verse 10. Paul said, or do, I, do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. Paul said, well, who are we, who are we trying to make happy here anyway? Are we just trying to preach things that will be pleasing to men to hear? Well, we can do that, obviously, and plenty of people do that. But Paul said that's not what we're really about. We're about being servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that being the case, we will not be ashamed of His truth. We won't back away from it. We will not be ashamed. And so, be thou therefore not ashamed. Don't be ashamed of our Lord Jesus Christ. Don't be ashamed of the truth that that he taught and that we should be standing for. I want to give you maybe a few applications of this principle of being not ashamed of the gospel. For instance, I think we should not be ashamed of the moral values taught in his word. Uh, the world is quickly going away from the moral standard taught in the word of God. I, I suppose there's probably not a better illustration of how far we have fallen away from the moral standard in the Word of God than the current uh, state of affairs in our country regarding same-sex marriage and the acceptance and promotion of homosexuality. There's nothing, I think, could be any more clearly condemned in the Word of God than homosexuality. But people are backing away from the stand that is taught in the Word of God. They're backing up from that. To the point that now there are even a number of prominent religious organizations who are acknowledging it, who are condoning it, who are promoting it. Even some of the mainline denominations that are, have taken votes and therefore passed legislation in their denomination that would allow for the ordination of openly homosexual ministers and clergy in their, in their various organizations. Well, I think that's just an example of being ashamed. If you were to go there, and if you were to point out what the Word of God says about homosexuality, they would ridicule you for that. They're ashamed to take that stand. They're going to do something different. We cannot be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. We cannot be ashamed of the moral values that are taught in His Word. Bringing this maybe a little bit closer to home, we need to continue to take stands against things that even some of our brethren won't stand for anymore. We need to take a strong stand against social drinking. Way too many of our brethren are, are, are compromising on that very question. We need to keep taking a strong stand against lascivious dancing, against the immorality that's being viewed on TV and the movies and the Internet. We need to keep taking a strong stand, not be ashamed 
in regards to dressing modestly in a world that knows little about modesty these days. We have to take a stand and not be ashamed. Uh, in, in 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning verse 3, I think Peter was talking about that sort of thing when he said, The time past of our lives may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles. In other words, this is the way we used to live before we became servants of Christ. We walked in lasciviousness, lust, excessive wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatry. But notice this. He says, Wherein they think it strange that you run not with them to the same excessive riot, speaking evil of you. What's going to happen? When we try to stand for the moral values that are in the Word of God, what's, what's going to be the reaction that we can expect when we do that? Well, they're going to think we're strange. People are going to think that we're strange and, and they'll speak evil of us. We should expect that, right? The fact of the matter is, as immoral as our culture is, is and, and exponentially getting worse and worse, if people are not thinking we're strange, and if they don't have hard things to say about us because of the moral values we're trying to uphold, then there's something wrong. If you can live in this modern world and, and, and people not think that you're strange because you're living like the Bible says, if you're living like the Bible says, they're going to think you're strange. And if they don't think you're strange, then you're not living like the Bible says. I mean, you, that just it can't be. So, if you're living like the Bible says, and people think you're strange, you've got to be willing to accept that. You cannot be ashamed of that outcome. That's what we're talking here. Not being ashamed of Christ or His gospel. Uh, they're going to speak evil of us. We have to accept that reality. And so, part of not being ashamed means willing to stand for the moral values that are taught in the Word of God. Not being ashamed of the doctrinal truths in His Word, including what's involved in acceptable worship to God. And a lot of times when people find out that we're members of the Church of Christ, they'll have quick questions to ask us about music, uh, as we've worshipped here this morning with a cappella singing, uh, no instrumental accompaniment. They'll ask us about that, because most people in the religious world use instruments of music in their worship. We cannot be ashamed to explain what we believe and understand on that question. Uh, Many times people will ask us as members of the Church of Christ, is it true that you all think you're the only ones saved? Uh, there's been some prejudicial uh, concepts promoted about uh, the Church of Christ in that regard. We should not be ashamed to quickly explain what we understand about salvation, uh, about who will be saved in eternity. And we can diffuse some of that prejudice by simply showing the truth about what's involved uh, in that regard. We should not be ashamed. People are going to ask us questions. That's fine. In fact, we invite their questions. We should not be ashamed to explain what we understand the Bible teaches about how we worship, what we do uh, uh, in service to God. In Matthew chapter 15, verse 8, we looked at this a minute ago, but notice this text talks about vain worship. In vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. It's possible to worship in vain. And the thing that makes it vain worship is if it's after the doctrines and commandments of men rather than the truth taught in God's Word. And so that's why it's necessary to be different. And that's why we cannot be ashamed. It's a necessary thing. We can't follow the doctrines and commandments of men. That would render our worship to God vain. We have to adhere to the truth taught in His Word. We should not be ashamed of things like what's involved in the plan of salvation. Uh, specifically, there are a lot of people who teach the notion that people are saved 
at the point of faith, saved by faith only. And there are people who therefore will embrace almost everyone because most everyone, at least in our circle of, of contact, almost everyone's willing to express their faith in Jesus Christ, at least verbal faith and acknowledgement in Christ. And so there are a lot of people who will say, well, everybody's saved then. Everything's okay. So, some have done that. Many of you know the name of Max Lucado, who uh, is associated with a church in San Antonio, Texas, that once bore the name Church of Christ, but they've taken that name down now uh, because now they have walked back from defending what we believe the Bible teaches as a plan of salvation. And they are effectively teaching the doctrine of salvation by faith only. Uh, it's, it's, it's easier. It's, it's more acceptable. People will not be offended. And so let's go that way. I want to suggest to you that it is a, a measure of being ashamed to back down from what the Bible clearly teaches in regards to the plan of salvation. We talk about the plan of salvation. You have to hear the truth. You have to believe it. Repent of your sins. Confess your faith in Jesus. Be baptized for the remission of sins. It is not by faith only that one is saved. James 2, 24, beginning. You see then that how by works a man is justified and not by faith only. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. We cannot be ashamed of that. And so we can't be ashamed of the moral values taught in his word, what's involved in acceptable worship, what it takes for a man to be saved from his past sins, and so forth. We cannot be ashamed of the Lord's church. There's a current trend. I just mentioned a minute ago about a church in San Antonio, Texas that's dropped the name Church of Christ from, from their name, their identification. Uh, and that, but that's happened in other places, you know. It's not, lots of places it's no longer the Church of Christ. It, 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 even on the sign out front, it just says church or Christians that meet here, which are, which are not bad descriptions, by the way. I'm not saying that those are wrong descriptions in and of themselves. But I am concerned about the fact that some of our own brethren wanted to disassociate from where we have stood always in regards to faith and doctrine and practice. Um, Paul's example was of one who would not be ashamed of whatever was right and whatever he believed and what he taught. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, beginning verse 11, "...whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles, for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed." For I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Notice, Paul said he was suffering for the cause. But he says, I'm not ashamed of that. In a lot of instances, Paul could have moderated his tone, changed his message. Paul could have gotten away with a lot less persecution if he was willing to be softer, not so stringent in teaching the truth. But he said, I'm not going to do that. I'm not ashamed. And we must not be either. In Luke chapter 6, verse 26, here's a key verse. Luke said, Woe unto you when all men shall speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. Now, it's sort of, Paul says, here's, here's a red flag warning for you if you'll take it. If you find out that everybody is saying good things about you, everybody's happy with you, you know, everybody's speaking well of you, he said, you probably need to take a warning because... That's what they did in Old Testament times to the false prophets, right? So we should be uh, aware that we are not going to have the most popular stance. Everybody's not going to be happy with what we teach or practice. 
but we cannot be ashamed. Here's a verse that really we really need to put into practice. Psalm 31, verse 1, In thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. Let me never be ashamed. That's the way it ought to be. And unfortunately, a lot of people can't say that. There are some who should be ashamed because they have not stood firmly for the truth of God. They are like the people in the days of Jeremiah who do not know God, who do not obey His will. Jeremiah 17, uh, verse 13, All that forsake thee shall be ashamed because they have forsaken the Lord. Here he's talking about how it will be ultimately. Those who have been ashamed of the Lord will be ashamed in the final judgment. Be ashamed now. Be expect, expect to be ashamed in the final day. Uh, we, we've got to take our stand. Thanks for your good attention to what we've had to say. Uh, it's great for us to proclaim our love for the Lord, and we should. But we have to put that into practice in every way, and I hope that we will. As we bring the lesson to a close, we're going to sing a song of invitation. If there are any here who desire to obey that simple gospel plan of salvation, which we mentioned earlier, hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized, we're ready to assist you. We'd be glad to study more with you. If you're a Christian already, but you've not been faithful to the Lord, we bid you come back to Him in repentance, confession, and prayer. If we can help, let us know while we stand and sing this song. Jesus, stay, come to me.